This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio. Greetings for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The title of the book is Newsroom Buddies, a working friendship at United Press International, co-authored by authors Sandy Latimer and John Cady. Joining me today on the program is author Sandy Latimer. Welcome to the program, Sandy. Hi, how's everybody doing today? Great, thank you for asking. It's a pleasure to visit with you. Your book follows an interesting format. It's not like most books in the marketplace. It's sort of like a diary. Take a moment and share with my listeners what the title Newsroom Buddies embodies for you and what, what does it mean? Well, I had attended a lecture by Jeffrey Zaslow, and he was talking about having written the book The Girls from Ames, and he Mm -hmm. uh, mentioned that men do not have the relationship that women do, and something struck me. Uh, Geez, my ex-boss, the gentleman I worked with, worked for for some 22 years, had just called me before I left for the program, and I'm thinking, gee, John and I have been friends for 42 years. We worked together, and then even after we left the company, went different ways, we still stayed in touch, and we lived in the same zip code, and we were going to a writer's group together, and I'm thinking, here is a relationship that not many people have, so I approached John and said, can we do this? And he says, when do you want to get started? And uh-huh. I whipped out the uh, laptop, and, and we started. And we're telling stories of how we worked together, covering stories that were important and that people recognize, and how we did this in a busy newsroom. And your friendship goes back, at least in a working environment, uh, in the 1960s, uh, if I'm understanding it correctly. Well, he called me in 1967. I was working at a radio station in Delaware, Ohio, as news director, and I was following a story. And I was calling UPI uh, every day with the updates on the story. And one evening, I got hold of the gentleman, and I was very surprised that he was able to spell and pronounce my name. My maiden name was Gould, and I struggled with this all through my life. Mm-hmm. If people saw it in print, they couldn't pronounce it, and if they, it was pronounced, they couldn't spell it. And he could do both, and I was very surprised. And he said, yes, I live on a street by that name. And I said, well... My great-grandfather lived in that area, and that street was named for him. Wow. And I figured, well, there's my 15 seconds of fame, and never gave it another thought. That was on a Friday night, and on Monday, John Cady called me and says, I want you to come to work for me. 
And that was the start of our 42-year, well, no, almost a 45-year friendship. Phenomenal. And and it's interesting how those connections uh, come together sometime in, in successful people's lives. And I would call you a successful individual. Thank you. Yes, uh, you you have also broken this down into three books, uh, book one, book two, and book three. Not that that's super complicated, but why did you choose to, to separate it as, as such? The first part, book one, is the period of time from when John called me and said he wanted me to come to work for him until the day that I started at UPI. And hmm. this was all in the Columbus, Ohio Bureau. Part two is when I started to work there up until the day that I left to seek another job. And part three is the from that period on until uh, John passed away as I was editing the book, and I waited until after his memorial service, and wrote a final chapter. So that's how it's divided. The stories in book one, um, how would you describe, first of all, how did you remember the contents of the book, the, the stories that you have shared with John, and how did that come together? How was it possible to, uh, did you keep a, a diary? Did you keep a journal? How did that, uh, how was that possible? Some of the things that we did and, and stories that the two of us wrote were quite outstanding and that stories that we told over and over, and it was just putting stories on paper before we forgot them. Hmm. And this is important not only in this book, but it's important in real life because a lot of people do not know an ancestor or some children do not know past their grandparents, and their great-grandparents or somebody back that far may have been a successful person, a great inventor or somebody, something like this, and a lot of times today's kids don't, don't know this. And it's a good thing to put these stories on paper before we forget them, and that's just what we did. That's phenomenal advice. In fact, I'm not a kid, but uh, I don't remember a whole lot. In fact, if my spouse uh, asked me a question from last week, I don't remember what day, what month, what the story was about. Uh, I am uh, one of those uh, creatives who uh, looks forward but not backward too well. Uh, of the stories, what do you think is the most interesting that you enjoyed uh, recounting once again? I think the stories that I put in there are some of my favorites. Um, the, how we covered, say, the uh, Jockey Oblonsky killings. He was uh, running for president of the United Mine Workers, and right. he, his wife, and daughter were shot to death um, around New Year's Eve on 69. And Ohio is a great coal mining state, especially in southeast Ohio. In southeast Ohio, the West Virginia Panhandle and western Pennsylvania is all this coal mining. And John grew up in West Virginia in the coal mines, so he knows that. And 
we wrote about that. We talked about this. This is one of those stories that we said we're going to be writing forever, just like the Kent State shootings. This is something we're going to write forever. And then I had the opportunity to do a lot of enterprise stories, and those those stick in my mind because I worked so hard on them. For instance, when I interviewed wives and girlfriends of athletes and coaches, that was a time that Jeff Torborg, manager of the Cleveland Indians, was on the hot seat. I had interviewed his wife. The story was ready to go and be transmitted nationally out of New York. And the morning we were going to send it to New York was the morning I learned that Jeff Torborg had been fired. And I made a mad dash into the office and got hold of the Indians, explained my situation. They immediately transferred me over to Susie at the hotel, and I re-interviewed Susie Torborg and rewrote the whole story and still got it to New York on time. Wow. And then the other part of that story, it was a three-part feature story, and the two parts had run. The third one was going to be running the next day. Well, that was at the time when Thurman Munson's plane crashed in flames at the Akron-Canton Airport, and he was killed. And I'd say, oh, my gosh, uh, my story's supposed to run on sports pages. Is there going to be room for it with the regular sports and now Thurman Munson's accident? And I was really surprised that uh, sports pages covered Thurman Munson and then had room for my third story. And wow. I had I had gone through all kinds of anxieties and even shed a few tears. Mm. These are remarkable stories. It's a, an anthology of the history of, uh, of at least your time at UPI. Is there is there more to the stories in the book than what perhaps appeared in print? Well, we tried to put it together. It's written in alternating chapters as I write about how we covered a particular story. John writes about how he handled it as a manager, hmm. as the bureau manager, head of the office. And then we also got into the situation where the company was sold and the headquarters move and the president's office becomes a revolving door. And as I'm trying to tell the story of how we did some enterprising work, he's writing a chapter about what's going on behind the scenes and how how the tension is that there's layoffs. You don't know if you're going to make it through the next payroll. The time that they floated loans to meet the payroll, uh, and even when we had to take a 35% pay cut after the company, the people who were still left there had voted, yes, we're going to keep the company going, yes, we will take a 35% pay cut. And there was a pretty big exodus at that time. In fact, a lot of people, I think, were waiting to see the vote, and I know I was, because the day after the vote was announced, I was offered another job. That's amazing. You have, uh, in the 60 chapters that are shared in your book, you have um, one that caught my attention, chapter 54, 
my turn in the legislature. Is that a personal story? Uh, well, all these stories are personal uh, because it's I wrote this story. This is how I dug up the information for this story. And we had a one person in the state house across the street, but every year a different person went in to be an assistant over there. So that made two people in the state house. And at that time, it was my turn to go over. And I was so excited because I got to work in a different location. And there's so much going on that affects everybody. And by working in the state house, I found an opportunity of writing stories the way they affect people. Mm. Is is your approach in this book, are there any stories that you would call lighthearted, or are they all hard news? Well, my feature stories are not really hard news. Like the time that um, one of the editors of a newspaper called me, in fact, it was the newspaper where I cut my teeth on journalism, and I was writing for that paper at the same time that guy was delivering papers, so we knew each other pretty well over the years. And he called and was talking to me about a particular person that I knew in that back in my hometown, and he said something about his son is the Ohio Teacher of the Year, and they're all going to Washington on a certain date. And he says, uh, I think he's the National Teacher of the Year. He said, can you go interviewing because he teaches down close to where you live. So, yes, I will go. I will go interview this young man. Uh, anybody younger than me, I call a young man. <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, I made the appointment to, and went to interview him, found out he went to school with my brother. So we had that much more in common, and I had written the story as a, a sidebar to what would be the national story on naming the National Teacher of the Year. And true, yes, he did get National Teacher of the Year. So when they're moving the National Teacher of the Year story out of New York, I was had my Ohio sidebar ready to go right after that. And um, I, was, I was very proud of having done that. And it looked nice. And this is the way that news should be covered. You have your major story, and then you have your local sidebar. And you localize the story. Well, about Two or three weeks later, the opposition, my big opponent, Associated Press, did their story, and then goes the, the salesperson from AP goes to show this particular editor, look, we did a story on somebody from your town. Well, the editor pulls out a newspaper and says, yes, and look what UPI did the <laughs> day of the national story here comes the local story right beside it Fabulous. and yeah you know, the ap guy walks out and you know 
Well, score one for UPI. Well, that's, there's some fascinating stories in your in your uh, recounting of history, and and uh, I'm wondering, what is the the general reason for writing this? I'm 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 sure it was to share your your history, newsroom buddies. That's a, that's a wonderful title for a book, but is there something else that you wanted to pass along? Well, I I had started this on the idea of male friendship, how. John and I were friends. Uh, he at one, he and I at one time lived a football field apart, wow. and I could stick my head out my living room window and watch his kids on the playground. We would share rides. Uh, he would come over, or he would holler across the driveway and say, "Hey, don't don't go yet. I'm I'm not ready." And he hmm. would he and I would go to work together. He made up the schedule so he could. Yeah. schedule me on days that he worked and um we uh, would share last night's leftovers uh he would get off we would get off work at three o'clock in the afternoon he'd come home start dinner before his wife got home and what was left over he would wrap it up in aluminum foil and bring it to work the next day and we would have that for breakfast Oh you know, we wouldn't we wouldn't bother with the uh, coffee and donuts. We would have perhaps stuffed zucchini or sh- leftover shrimp creole <laughs> or whatever. And uh, then on Saturdays, uh, when there was there was a different crew working almost every Saturday, and we would plan menus around who was working because downtown there were no restaurants open on Saturday. So we would do our own cooking, and when I worked, everybody knew that I would bring Swedish meatballs to work, and that recipe is included in the back of the book. Oh, great idea. The The book is uh, a fascinating read because of uh, the coverage of history and also the point in time because you have referenced it in your, in your stories. Uh, where do people get a copy of Newsroom Buddies? They can get it from the publisher, iUniverse. It's also available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and I think uh, there are a couple other small distributors that anybody Googling books by Sandy Latimer, and that's Sandy with an I and Latimer with one T, and they can uh, find it in various places. Sandy, do you have a web page also that people can connect with you? I have um, a generic web page because I do a lot of writing, and this one is Sandy Latimer. That's S-A-N-D-I-L-A-T-I-M-E-R hyphen com, C-O-M dot webs, W-E-B-S dot com. There is no uh, triple W at the beginning of that. No triple W. All right. And uh, listeners, if you are wanting to get this on a local level and uh, can't find it, you can ask your local bookseller. They can order it in for you. Yes. And my email address is on my webpage, so I enjoy comments from anybody. If you read the book, and I appreciate your putting uh, a review on the site where you purchased the book. Great, Sandy. Sandy, thank you for sharing your story. Again, the title of the book is Newsroom Buddies, 
a working friendship at United Press International. My guest, Sandy Latimer, and stories also by John Cady. Thank you for joining me today and sharing your story. Thank you. My pleasure for iUniverse. This is just J. Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. For iUniverse, this is J. Douglas Barker. The title of the book is Arrivals and Departures from Normal. And I'm here to share some of the story of the author, Lana Jean Rose. Lana Jean Rose is an acclaimed environmental artist who has received grants from many notable foundations, such as the National Endowment for the Arts, the Rockefeller Zellerbach, and Walter and Elise Haas Foundation. She has exhibited throughout Europe and the United States. However, in spite of her national and international acclaim, Rose's true passion is writing. Drawing from her lifetime of experiences and lifetime achievement in the arts, Lana Jean has created a wonderful storyline in this 400-page novel titled Arrivals and Departures from Normal. When asked about the motivation for writing this novel, her response was this, My art career suddenly came to a halt after falling and severely fracturing both my wrists approximately five years ago. I found myself living in a state of constant throbbing pain and unable to paint or make handmade paper. My wrists could not hold a paintbrush for more than 10 minutes without severe pain, and lifting a screen with pulp and paper was now out of the question. My attempted artwork looked like arts and crafts, and I realized it was impossible to continue my career. Having the constant desire to be creative, I had to find a way to express myself. Unknowingly, all my life, I'd used art and fashion as coping skills all my life through my dark and difficult times. I was extremely lucky to be a successful artist. I decided to write a book about the funny stories about my life I'd always told to people throughout my life. I've always loved writing, so I decided to share all the absurd stories of my life that I'd always told in a very hilarious way that had people on the floor with tears from laughing so hard. I dictated the book without any notion of ever publishing. It was just another project. One of my art mentors found out about the manuscript, and before I knew it, it was being published. The writing of the book was easy and came quite naturally. It was the constant revision that eventually took its toll. I found myself being thrown into a severe emotional crisis, now continuing over three months for no apparent reason. 
It became apparent after revising for a year that the so-called funny stories were monstrously cruel scenes and that the main character, Airstream, became a glaring reality, that these tragic stories had happened to me and were not funny at all. In fact, I realized I was a very damaged person and had been using art and fashion as coping skills all of my life. Suddenly, my world became empty and I had no idea who I was. I had no sense of purpose and absolutely no inspiration to even live. Lana continues, The writing of my book benignly brought back all of my memories or flashbacks as referred to for people suffering from complex PTSD of my verbal, sexual, and extremely physical abuse as a child from my parents. All my life, I had no idea that this was the cause of my suffering, no matter how fast I danced and performed perfectly. The therapist copied pages from a book about complex PTSD, and for the first time in my life, I felt there was one person on the planet that knew exactly how I felt and lived. So this book was written for a purpose. My hope is that people of all walks of life hear that my book is a delightful, engaging read. It's humorous, witty, and enlightening for those who might have been in therapy for many years and found that they were not being helped through traditional therapy. It wasn't until I was through writing this book and the endless revisions that I discovered I suffer from complex PTSD. People with CPTSD come from an engendering family who were so thoroughly betrayed by their parents, the kind of family that you come from growing up in a severely abusive and or neglectful family. Reflecting on the writing process and development of characters, she said, understanding now why I would find myself being halted with bouts of hopelessness, fear, depression, anxiety, and dread, while all along living a life of tremendous success and the adventure I have experienced now makes sense to me. I now begin a new journey of recovery and discovering who Lana is. In reflecting on the characters of her novel, she says the character of DJ and the scenes of her Black Widow hunts, air checking herself into the ER and the monkey story are really funny. I also think the chapters that speak to Air's commitment to heal herself are important, like seeing a therapist for her multiple personalities. Lana's ability to have humor in spite of difficult times in her life is reflected in the storyline as well. She describes it like this. I would say arrivals and departures from normal is like a little girl with an ice cream cone in her hand. She lifts a cone to her mouth and somehow it always lands on her forehead. Sort of a Charlie Brown moment. When I asked Lana how to describe her book, she said this is what makes it different from the rest. It's a candid and emotional story that is one of pain yet told in a funny way. As to behind the scenes of an eventual successful artist and her coping skills from being raised in an abusive environment. It's a story of an unknown strength and belief against all odds that hopefully will give people a glimmer of hope when there is no light at the end of the tunnel through learning about complex PTSD. The absurd adventures of Airstream that are told in humorous way eases the pain of the horrible experiences she had to endure as a child. Further expanding, Lana shares that the story takes place in the 50s in Texas, then to California for the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Expanding upon the challenges of writing this book, Lana describes it this way, the most challenging part was simply editing. 
The rewarding part was to have the opportunity to finally stop hiding out and dancing as fast as I could with my coping skills such as art, fashion, and humor and begin to understand complex PSTD and recovery. Author Lana Jean Rose has taken some of her personal experiences in life, put them into writing in this fictional account titled Arrivals and Departures from Normal, an iUniverse release. You can get your copy at Amazon.com, online, or Barnes & Noble, or other fine retailers by requesting it by name, Arrivals and Departures from Normal, author Lana Jean Rose, or also on her website, LanaJeanRose.com. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. When your focus is to lose weight or maintain your present weight, exercising effectively to burn the most calories is crucial. You want to give yourself every advantage to burn as many calories as possible. One good tip is to do your strength training exercises standing up so you can keep your heart rate up. Another tip is to perform multi-joint exercises when you can. For example, as you're doing a forward lunge, add bicep curls while you're coming up from the lunge. Another example is to execute a wide squat. And as you're coming up from the squat, perform a shoulder press. By doing these multi-joint exercises, you're putting more demands on your body, keeping your heart rate up, and working more muscles at the same time. The goal is to burn the most calories during that workout. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. Welcome to Author Voices on Air, and I'm your host, Rick Bell. Our next book is the story of the author's experiences. She describes herself as a singer who can no longer sing. Whilst travelling home to get ready to perform as a singer at a variety show at a leading club in Sydney, Australia, the author was involved in a horrific car accident, which left her in a coma for over four months. With the support and encouragement of her late husband, who sadly passed away recently, she decided to write a book about her life and about the changes that her accident has brought. Her new book, My Corner of the Sky, takes the reader on a journey through the author's glittering career as a club and television entertainer, her scary road trip to Darwin, and her performance at the Sydney Opera House, all of which were cut short by the tragedy of what happened. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show the author, Kerry Dyer Keane. Welcome to the show, Kerry, and thank you for joining me. Now, can I first of all begin by offering our sincere condolences for the recent passing of your late husband, who I know was a great inspiration to you and no doubt will be very proud of everything that you go on to achieve. Thank you very much. I'm sure he would be, yes. Now, your book is unquestionably an inspiration, as you yourself are, as a writer, a former singer and performer. Can I ask, first of all, what was the major motivation and inspiration behind your decision to write a book? The major inspiration behind writing the book 
goes back to what my husband said to me a long time ago. You should write it all down because you have to you remember things and you may forget. And I sort of thought, I, I'll never forget this. But I have quite, quite plainly forgotten some things. So they're all written down in the book. Now they're there forever. Obviously something you want to share with the readers. But talking about the readers, when you were writing the book, you must have had a particular audience or a particular readership in mind. Who would you say that you wrote the book for and why? I wrote it for anyone that needed a bit of encouragement and a bit of help to make them feel determined to overcome any difficulties that they faced. Now that brings me to my next question. It's often said that every book, whether it be fact, fiction or fable, has a message or a lesson to be learned by the reader. What would you say is the one thing that you want the readers of your book to learn or to take away from your book? The the one thing that I would really like if you want to learn from the book or whatever is that there's no point in giving up. You must keep trying. You must work at every aspect of living. Otherwise, what is the point of being alive? Well, having read the book, um, I can certainly say you are proof of that in yourself without giving too much away. Tell me a little more about some of the the life's memories that you share in this book with the readers and something about the scenes and the characters in the book. Well, the person that was me in those in those days was a bit risque and a bit strange. <laughs> but I've got involved with a lot of strange things. There's a lot of semi-sexual connotations and some other things that are not semi-sexual at all. There's also the determination and the uh, working hard at correcting my walking and my talking. I still don't talk really well, but it was making me work really hard in the in the hospital to sort of recover my abilities to do just the basic things. I missed not being able to do the more elite things and I suddenly couldn't even do the basic things. Now, talking about what you've been through in yourself and the, the horrific accident that you were involved in and your recovery from there, what would you say is the one thing that has been the strength for you and has helped you to the stage of recovery that you're at at present? It's going to sound rather strange, but I believe, I think I wrote about it in the book, I believe I had an out-of-body experience when I was unconscious. And having not been allowed to go into the gate, go through the gates, I was sent back to Earth again. So I think that he has a definite had a definite purpose for sending me back. Now I had my baby girl, my daughter, which was the first reason for being 
saved and sent back. And the second reason for being saved was for giving my darling husband the help and support he needed when he had the Alzheimer's. And so we've, I've sort of, how would you say it? I've looked after him and in the same way that he looked after me after the accident and helped me learn to walk and talk again, I helped him learn to live again with, with the Alzheimer's. And although he did not do what one would call living, he was alive and he sort of was comfortable. So well, you've, the, you've certainly been what I could describe as a, a tower of strength for each other. Now, the book, I think it would be fair to describe as the memoirs, if you like. Yes. But how would you say, that aside, how would you say this book differs from other similar type books? And what would you say sets it apart? Well, that's a, that's a rather strange question because obviously I would find my story more important than anybody else's story. But I think it's probably not any different to a lot of other things that encourage people. But it is honest and forthright, and it is really written in a way that means that you're sitting there talking to me. And the people have often commented that it was like sitting in a bedroom or a lounge room talking one-to-one with me and working through it. It was very personal. So from that point of view, it's different. That certainly gives the the listeners an insight into why they should want to pick up this book and read your story. Now, talking about your story, where does the book begin? Where does the story begin? Does it take you back to your early life or is it? The first part of the the book is the aftermath of the accident in the hospital when I was coming out of the coma. The second part goes back to when I was a child. Childhood goes through all my youthful irascibilities in Greenacre where I grew up. And it's all sort of just normal sort of chit-chat about the things that kids do at school, at school and in the neighbourhood. It goes into my show business days and then into the time when I, because I was not exactly the best behaved person in those days and I was sort of having a downtime and I, I just broken up with my first fiancé and I decided I wanted to change. So I hitched a ride with a fellow to Darwin, which is where I worked quite a lot. And we drove all the way to Darwin, but I found out that that guy that I'd run off with was also a gangster. And he had a gun in the car. When I said I wanted to leave, he made very plain that I wasn't going anywhere. But eventually I had him arrested. I walked away out to get away from it, went to Darwin. And then after Darwin, I came back to Sydney 
and I met my husband again, and we got married. So then there's a chapter about the wedding and about how I had the baby and all those sorts of things. So it's really just basically a memoir. But some people say I've had an interesting life. Well, certainly um, there's no question that your life has been interesting and full of colourful characters. Now, moving on to writing the book itself, what for you did you find most challenging about writing the book? And obviously, writing in itself is bound to bring out rewards. Tell me some something about that side of it as well. It was a bit strange in that when I wrote it, I didn't sort of follow all the normal routines, normal routines of writing a book. I just wrote it down as I thought it, as it came out. And so that's why some of the book is a bit wibbly wobbly and bounces back and forward. And I sort of wasn't really bothered about tidying it up to be written, to be published with really, me, because it was never meant for that in the first place. So when I was writing, I wasn't sure whether I had said something or not. And so quite often I would repeat myself. But you find that it sort of all gets around to telling you the story as it happened. Now that brings me yeah. to my next question. As a first-time writer, and we discussed this when we were speaking off air earlier, has writing this book given you the inspiration to want to write another book or maybe even further books? Now that my husband's died, I'm thinking of writing, a, and because Alzheimer's is such a hot topic, I'm thinking of writing a, a book that involves telling how one copes with Alzheimer's and how one copes with the problems that arise from Alzheimer's. Because as you say, someone with Alzheimer's is still very much a person, still very much a human being with thoughts and feelings and so on. And I certainly think that that would be a good read and also would be helpful for other people who are What's looking that? after someone with, with Alzheimer's. Now, in closing, is there anything that you would like to add that we maybe have not covered yet during this interview about your book? The book is interesting and it's a really good read and it's a lot of uh, inspirational things in it so for anyone that wants to be inspired that's what the book is great Thank you Kerry My Car Not Of The Sky is published by iUniverse and is available direct from the publishers at iUniverse.com and all good bookstockers. Once again many thanks to my special guest today the author and writer Kerry Dyer Keane for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. This is Rick Bell for Togonet Radio. Thank you for listening. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by Toginet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.